Welcome to Sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Rev. Dr. Matthew Richard. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's a concept called the friendship factor. Yes, it is called the friendship factor. And the friendship factor says this, that some 70 to 80% of all people join a church primarily for the reason of fellowship and friendship. In other words, the power of friendship tends to be the primary reason that people join and stay in a church. You know what I'm talking about. You've heard people say this before. They say, I've joined that church because they are so friendly and nice. I feel like I belong there. Now, there's no doubt about it that friendship actually unites us together into a church, and it is good to be nice. No doubt about it. It is good to be friendly as a church. However, is this what truly unites a church? Is the true unity of the church based on friendships and feelings of acceptance? Or is there something more, something more profound that unites the church than common interests and feelings? Is there something more that makes us truly belong, truly unified? In today's epistle reading from Ephesians, the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus And he shares that the true unity within the church is produced by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that you and I have been called into one hope, to one Lord, to one faith, to one baptism, and to one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Paul shares that the many parts are made one that many are grafted into a oneness. To state it simply, you and I have been called together into this church through one baptism, not many baptisms held together by friendliness. 
You and I, we have been called together to the same confession of the faith, not a bunch of different spiritual opinions held together by feelings of tolerance, warm feelings of tolerance. You and I, we've been called together to one hope, not many different individualized goals held together by wishful thinking. There is one Lord. There is one baptism. There is one Spirit. You see, the point that is being made is that when we base our unity upon friendships, common experiences, similar opinions, and even warm feelings of acceptance, well, we are not going far enough, my friends. That is to say, if we are gathered together in unity by only friendships, then our unity is only as good as those relationships are. Indeed, if our unity is based on common personal experiences and feelings of warm acceptance, what happens when our experiences and feelings reach a point of contention and disagreement? Unfortunately, when unity is based on friendships and experiences and feelings and opinions alone, the church's unity is fragile, yes, fragile at best. So we do not have to look too far to see whole churches destroyed over disagreements, over non-essential things. It goes like this. If unity in a church is not rooted deeply in Christ and Him crucified, then small conflicts can easily destroy a church's unity. More specifically, for example, if unity in a church is based upon a physical building, then disagreements over the building's carpet colors destroys church unity. Or if unity is based on feelings of acceptance, then the smallest offense or the smallest insensitive comment can destroy church unity. There's also another problem to this, to unity being based solely on relationships and personalities and feelings, and that is the fact that friendships can come and go. For example, if our friends cease to be entertaining and enjoyable and encouraging, we may choose to cut ties with them and find new friends. And if we can't find new friends in the church, well, we break unity with the church and we look elsewhere for more entertaining and more enjoyable friends. Sadly, our friendships are not as strong as we often believe and we humans are often very superficial. And so if a church's unity is based upon these fragile relationships and personalities, well, my friends, the church's unity has been built upon shifting sand. And let us not forget how this impacts the outreach of the church, the evangelism of the church. You see, if unity in the church is based on friendships and relationships, then newer individuals may find it difficult to connect to the already established and existing relationships in the church. For example... What if a new person coming to our church does not have family connections, and what if they do not have common interests with you or with me? How will they belong? What if a person has a difficult time making friends, or what if they are an introvert? How will they find unity here? Does a lack of family ties, a lack of common interests, or a person being introvert prevent them and us from having true unity? Dear baptized saints, the church's unity 
our unity here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church neither exists nor is based on friendships, personal interests, and feelings alone. Instead, real unity in the church, in Christ's church, is given and produced by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, there is a much better way to understand unity, true unity in the church. There is a much deeper and profound way to understand this. You see, what binds us together, what binds each and every single one of you together here and now in the unity that we have is the Holy Spirit who brings us about. Even though all of us have different backgrounds, different vocations, different last names, different ages, and different ethnicities, well, we are called to one hope. We're called to one Lord. We're called to one faith, to one baptism by the Holy Spirit. That is to say, Christ and his doctrine are not chopped up and distributed amongst us as if we have different Christs that we follow. And we do not have multiple saviors. We certainly do not have conflicting doctrines as well. We do not have different individualistic baptisms, and we do not have individualistic confessions by no means know how. As Christians, we have been crucified into Christ. Each and every single one of us were buried into Christ's death in our baptisms, and we emerged together alive with faith in Christ. Therefore, in our baptisms, we have been united to the story of Christianity that extends to people on every single continent, every single ethnic background, and every single generation. Take a moment and look around in your midst. Look around at each other. As members of the church, we join together in Christ as common sinners with a common Savior, with a common Christian faith. This is unity. Now, we must pause to take note that we're not saying that friendships and family are unimportant. We're not saying that individuality should be erased. No, instead here, what we are saying here is this, is that as we are in this church, we are not alone we are hearing that we're united together in a family of faith, which is much more significant, deeper, and eternal. Yes, we've been united in our baptisms with our forefathers that went before us. Forefathers such as Abraham and Moses, Elijah, Rahab, and the apostles. This unity in Christ provides a much more significant foundation for the church and connects us to what is called the universal church, the church that extends around the world and extends from generation to generation. Dear baptized saints, the Holy Spirit is the one who produces this unity for you and for me. It is not forced upon us, but rather you are called into it. Yes, the Holy Spirit, he has called you by the gospel. He's enlightened you with his gifts and sanctified you in the one true faith uniting you to every single blood-bought Christian in this sanctuary. This kind of unity is so much more profound. It is so much more eternal than mere friendships. This unity of the Spirit is a greater foundation for the church than mere feelings as well. This true unity grants the church the ability to weather the storms, 
Yes, the storms of personal struggles and interpersonal conflicts, and yes, even carpet wars. What this means is that since we Christians are all members together of one body, and since we have been baptized into the one true faith for the forgiveness of all of our sins, and since we have the same treasure of God's word and sacrament, we then should regard each other as neither better nor worse, but as brothers or sisters. We are co-heirs of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the one, indeed, who causes the unity in the church. We do not produce unity, nor do our actions destroy unity. They are not able. It is the Spirit who creates unity. And that is why we have been called by the Apostle Paul to treasure the gift of this unity. That is the reason why we're called to abide in this unity by the Holy Spirit that has been created in us. Indeed, your Christian faith possesses a unifying power. It binds our human hearts together. It is a unity that endures beyond death and even beyond the end of the earth because it is a unity that is created in us by the Spirit through our unifying Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.